In uh, 1993, that great philosopher Mark Miller of the band Sawyer Brown uh, penned the words that would forever be ingrained in uh, American hearts and minds, and I quote, he said, I gotta thank mama for the cooking, daddy for the whooping, the devil for the trouble that I get into, I've got to give credit where credit is due. Anybody know the song? Thank the bang for the money. I, I didn't say sing it. <laughs> I didn't say sing it. I've got to be more specific. But Matt's right. The last line, I got to thank the bank for the money. Thank God for you. But what I want to focus in on are, are those words giving credit where credit is due. Um, that, that, that's timeless stuff there, by the way, that 1993 uh, classic. Um, I think we can all agree that giving credit where credit is due is a noble thing. And while I hate to break the heart of 90s country music fans everywhere, uh, Mark Miller and the band Sawyer Brown did not come up with the concept of giving credit where credit is due. Uh, believe it or not, and I tend to not, um, they, they say that you can attribute the phrase, give credit where credit is due, to Samuel Adams in a letter that he wrote in the late 18th century. Now, if that's true, you could at first, I guess knee-jerk reaction might be that, you know, wow, that's been around for a long time. Like, you know, that's like the founding of our nation officially kind of stuff that we're talking about there. And um, I don't know, you don't have to think very long before you're like, but I don't know if I buy that. I feel like giving credit where credit is due has been around a lot longer than that. You know, whether it was the phrase or not, we know the concept, but we certainly know the concept has been around for a long time. We all understand, and we have to assume everyone has kind of got it, you know, before us, um, that, that it's a noble thing. It's the right thing to give credit where credit is due. If somebody shoulders most of the load to accomplish a particular task, it's not right to step forward and be like, yes, I participated in that. Uh, you can thank me. Right, I mean, somebody else did most of the work, you know? Even if somebody just did some more of the, or some of the work, you know? You need to give them some credit, right? But especially if they did most of it, you point to them, not yourself. We all know that, we all get that. If somebody came up with a great idea, uh, something like that, you know, we don't go and take it and pass it off like it's our own. In fact, we have laws against that, right? Everybody knows that that kind of stuff is wrong. Those basic moral principles of giving credit where credit is due uh, has been around far longer than Mark Miller, Sawyer Brown, or Samuel Adams. I'm very confident. So this morning, I want to bring you a message called Do Credit. Uh, Do Credit. As we come to the, the close of Jude's letter, we're, we're at the end. You guys are like, man, this is week 11. For real? Are we going to be in this, this you know, 25 chapter, uh, verse letter? Only, well, no chapters at all. It's not even, it's, it's so short we didn't even divide it into chapters, right? Here we are, though. This is the end. We've made it, okay? Or, well, we're almost there. Pray for me. Let, let's try to get through this today. But when we come to the very end, these last Last two verses, verses 24 and 25, uh, Jude gives what some describe as a doxology. That's, that's fancy theological uh, terms for uh, a praising of God, okay? You guys have probably, um, within the last 24 hours, many of you, given a doxology <laughs> in your prayer. You probably praised God, uh, told him how great he is. You know, you didn't just go to him and ask him to bless the Cheetos that you were about to eat on the couch. You, know, you didn't just do that kind of stuff. You also praised God. God. That's a doxology. It's just a praising of God. Jude here in these two verses, these last two verses, is praising God. He is
is giving God his due credit. He's acknowledging how great he is here. Um, So far in this letter, over these last several weeks, we have seen Jude appeal to Christians to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. We've seen him warn the church that these ungodly men have crept in unnoticed and they need to be watched. We've seen him uh, remind us of these examples from history about how, how God will execute his wrath for those who go astray, those who, who rebel and don't repent. We've seen that. We've seen him explain, we've seen Jude explain the behavior of these ungodly men and recognize the divisive effects of what they're doing, how they, they uh, destroy unity. We talked about that. And then we saw how he exhorted us to build ourselves up on our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit and uh, working in a wise and careful way to turn people who have gone astray back to the Lord lovingly, gently, and carefully, and wisely doing what we can to, to bring them back onto the path where they need to be. And after all of this, at the very end, now he turns his mind and our minds to, to the greatness of who God is and, and what he's able to do. Okay, so this is important stuff. This is a really important exercise that Jude is taking us through. It's important to do this because number one, God deserves this. Okay, that's the first thing, and that's that's. I, I hesitate to say the only thing that really matters because that's definitely not true. But I mean, this is top priority as well. G- God deserves this because God deserves that we should give it to Him. If there was no other reason, we should do it for that reason. Is what I'm saying. God deserves His due credit. Everything we've got, uh, and I'm not talking about material possessions. I'm talking about salvation. I'm talking about the, the mercy and the grace and all this stuff. Everything we've got, He deserves the due credit for that. Okay, we responded to his grace and his mercy, but it was just a response. He stepped out and did the work, okay? He deserves his due credit. Secondly, this is important because we need to be reminded of this stuff. We need to keep on our minds, we need to have this on our minds at all times. This, this will go a long way in helping us to stay faithful and, and live the way that we're supposed to live and, and be faithful to him. If we would constantly remind ourselves of his greatness and his, his wonderful abilities, his power, and then we need to do that because, number three, we need to be living our lives in accordance with his greatness, right? If he is this great, and if he is able and has done all of this for us, we should be living differently than had he not, or, or if we were not aware of it, right? We should live differently because we're aware of it, because we're reminding ourselves of it, we know of it. We are going to live differently. That's just, that's just normal, uh, logical kind of stuff here, right? So he deserves it. We need the reminder, and our lives should be different because of it, who he is, what he's done. So take a look at these last two verses with me here real quick. Verses 24 and 25, Jude writes here, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So do you hear it in, in Jude's words? Give credit where credit is due. Do you, do you hear him doing that? Remember, he deserves it. We need to be reminded of it. We need to remember it, and our lives should be based on it. So let's break down what Jude is doing in these two verses here. In verse 24, first of all, he's pointing out that God is Able, You see that? God is able. We see that in verse 24. And then in verse 25, Jude points out that God is the 
only God. And there's some things that go along with, uh, you know, someone who is the only God, and he talks about that, okay? So that's how we're going to break it down this morning. Uh, Just two big main things, God's unique ability and God's unique nature. So honing in on verse 24, first of all, we see God as him who is able. That's how Jude refers to God in this specific instance, him who is able. Now, God is able to do a lot of things, right? So this is not an exhaustive list. We, we wouldn't call it that, right? This is not an exhaustive list. Uh, but in fact, Jude mentions what he mentions for a specific purpose. Just these two things because they are related to what he's been dealing with in the whole letter, right? If, if the concern is there's these people in the church who, who they're, they're just not genuine or that they've fallen for a lie and they're, tr- they're, they're trying to, to win others to that lie and that sort of thing, what's the obvious danger? that we might believe the lie too, that we might chase after what they're chasing after, that we might uh, fall away from God and follow after these men, right? And so what does he say? He says he's able to keep you from doing that. He's able to make you in the end stand blameless in his very presence. And so that's the reason that he points out these two things, that that God is able to do this. Uh, These worldly-minded, counterfeit Christians have drawn people away from that once-for-all faith. And so here he is giving God credit uh, for the fact that he is able to keep Christians from falling into that hole, falling for that kind of deception. He said it there in this way. He's able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Clearly, Jude wants Christians to recognize this so that they will remember this and behave in accordance with this. Okay, if this is true, we need to behave a certain way. So let's take a look at these two abilities. Let's, let's look at them uh, specifically, separately here. First of all, Jude says that God is able to keep you from stumbling, okay? So Jude is praising God. Remember, he's, he's giving credit to God, but he's pointing out some important things about God's abilities here. He's praising God for his ability to keep us standing firm, to, to not fall from his grace. And we know that can happen because we've got like passages like Galatians 5, 4, where Paul tells the Galatian church that some of them, because they have, listen, because they have themselves turned, because they have followed after teaching that is contrary to Christ, because of that, he uses some really powerful language. They've been severed from Christ because of what they've done. They've fallen from grace. He's not just saying this could happen, which would be enough. He actually is saying some of them, this has already happened. And he's warning us not to do that, right? In 2 Peter 2, verse 20, Peter writes, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is that salvation? Is that someone uh, finding what salvation, how to be saved? Yes, yes. If after they have escaped the defilements of the world, gotten out of that, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's the only way to do it the right way, they are again entangled in them. So if they are again entangled in them and are overcome, okay, so not just kind of, you know, a little, little trip up, a little, you know, ah, I had a moment, but we're talking about they've become entangled in them and are overcome by them. You get to that state. He says the last state has become worse for them than the first. Guys, so much of the New Testament is working at this, this issue here. Uh, the New Testament, uh, and including Jude's letter, so much of it is spent encouraging and, and warning us to be sure that we stay on the right path so that we don't 
turn from it, find ourselves off of it, and go so far away from it that we never find our way back onto it. So much of the New Testament and Jude's letter being part of that it is no exception, right? Praise God for the fact that he's able to keep us from doing this. He's able to keep us from stumbling. Now, here's an important detail. We've got to be willing. We've got to be willing to allow this to happen and to do what needs to be done for this to happen. We've got to be cooperative. There's action required on our part here. We've got to want to be kept. You've got to actually have the desire, and, and, and I'm really sorry, we can't fix. No, one can, no person can fix your desire, okay? God's word has got to convict you, uh, pierce your heart so that you want to. You've got that desire, okay? But like Jude's audience, if we'll listen to God's word, Okay, we'll, we'll find that we have all the information that we need to guard against falling uh, for the lies of sin, which could lead to falling from God's grace. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, many of us are very familiar with this passage, says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but, okay, here's such an important part, listen, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. See, God has provided the way. He doesn't do it for you. Okay, that would be, that would be um, overstepping your free will, right? That, that would be commandeering your will taking over your mind and your actions. He doesn't do that for you. He doesn't do that to you, right? You should see that as a negative thing. If God were to just make you like a robot where he could just take over when he wanted, you know, he kind of puts you on autopilot now and again, then just makes you do that. We don't want that. We, we want free will because that means we can love God. That means we can experience his mercy and his grace and all the good blessings and all that. We want that, okay? But God has provided the way. We have to take the way. God has provided the way, and if he provided it, that means whose way is it? It's not our way, it's his way. Yeah, yeah, easy questions this morning, I promise. It's his way. So God has provided the way, his way, to consistently resist temptation. So now the question is, how do we know what his way is in any given situation? Because that's what we need to know, right? We need to know when we're tempted, what is his way in any given situation? Well, no surprise. In Psalm 119, verse 11, the psalmist says, your word, he's talking to and about God, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. So here's where the effort comes in on our part. Okay, here's where uh, you have to do something. We need to know God's word. We need to be people who know God's word. We need to treasure it, value it, treat it like a prized possession, and protect it. It needs to be in our heart. That means in our innermost being. We've got to saturate our, our mind, our whole self with God's word so that when temptation strikes, we are able to draw on God's wisdom and God's instruction and avoid sin. That's what we have to do. We've got the tools. We've got the word. We've got the, the action plan. We've got what we're supposed to do. And, and it's not like, it's not even so hard as like, you know, well, if this happens, you do this. And if this happens, you do that. Don't forget, check section two, subsection three, article number 45. It's not that complicated. Instead, it's like this overarching, hey, always make God first priority. And then there are some specifics. You know, when, when uh, Sunday rolls around, right here, right? There, there are some specific things, but for the most part, it's, it's honor God with your life. So what you have to do, 
Have his word in your, your heart and mind so that when temptation strikes, you can say, hmm, does this honor God? Would this please God? Or would this please God? Would this honor God? Ah, okay. And then you're like, huh, this ain't that hard after all, right? God has not made it complicated, but we've got to know his word. It, it just takes a little effort. It's, it, anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. It just takes a little bit of effort. We've got to be uh, willing. Our willingness and our participation is required here, but God has provided the way. God has provided the necessary um, instruction, the necessary protection that we need. Uh, again, the devil can't hurt us if we know what the armor of God is and put it on. Now, if we don't, uh, it's open season on you, brother, sister. I, I, that's the way it is. Uh, let that be a warning that encourages you rather than discourages you. Now, the second thing, a specific thing that Jude says God is able to do is to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Now, the word blameless, uh, you guys might be able to guess what this means. It, it means without... Oh, man, like 30% of you nailed it. That's good. That's good. Because usually only 20% of you are willing to answer me. So, so that's very good, okay? I'm not, I'm not dogging you. That's pretty good stuff, all right? Yeah, it can mean blameless it can, or without blame. <laughs> Look at me. Now I'm struggling. <laughs> without fault, without spot, uh, unblemished, okay? Now, I would venture to guess that anyone in this room old enough or maybe I should say smart enough, to know what the word blameless uh, means probably knows we aren't, right? If you know what blameless means, you know you're not. Um, some of you, let me phrase it like this. If you know what unblemished means, you know you're not, right? Every one of us, you know, we got that one thing that we're like, you know, okay, time to take a picture. Let me turn this way, right? Because why? I know there's something over here I don't want people to see, <laughs> right? You know, never mind. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> We know we're not blameless. We know we're not without fault, right? We understand that. Um, we don't think we're faultless. And we know people who, who we think act like they do. Why do they act like that? Because they know they have faults. And so they, they overcompensate and, and act really cocky and arrogant. But even they know, right? We all feel like we're not uh, without blame. We all feel like we have faults. And we all know that we actually do. Right here, right now, uh, on this earth, in this room, in this moment, right now we know that we're not blameless. But notice that Jude says that God is able to make us stand in the presence of his glory blameless. It'd be a really dumb thing, but it, it'd be, you know, something to stand here and say even that I'm mostly without fault. You know? Like, like that would be a big deal. But I'm just here on an old creaky stage that I can change that vent around as many times as I want, and it still creaks when I'm trying to preach. Um, I can stand up here on this, this old stage in this old place and, and talk to regular old folk like, like all of us in this room, and it sounds dumb. But imagine standing in the presence of his glory and saying anything about being good at all, right? Being blameless? Uh-uh doesn't seem like it's possible. Uh, have you ever felt like you kind of knew something about something until you're around somebody who really knew something about the thing that you thought you knew? Right? I mean, I've done this in the music world, you know. I, my, my local homies, I feel pretty, pretty, pretty confident in my abilities, you know. I can, I can probably pull it off, you know. Give me three or four chords and, and we'll, we'll go with it. 
And then, man, you go to Nashville and you get around some people who are like, you know, they're like nailing these licks, you know, just tuning up their guitars. You're like, whoa, hold on a second. You feel suddenly very incompetent. This is kind of the idea I get. Like, you know, when you're around a master at something, it's, you know, it, it kind of is intimidating. Now imagine we're talking about being around the master, in the presence of the master, and he says he can make us blameless in his presence, in the presence of his glory? Whoa. But he can, and he does. We're not just saying like, wow, what if? We're saying this is an ability that God has. In Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Paul teaches us in verses 25 through 27 that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that, so here's a reason, he might sanctify her set her apart, okay, that's what that means, sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, listen to this, here's another purpose statement, verse 27, that he might present to himself the church, that's you and me, brothers and sisters in Christ, may present to himself the church in all her glory. Now listen to this, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and Blameless. It's hard to say. But that's what he says. What a privilege. What an honor. What mercy. What, what, what grace. What power and ability that our God could make us stand in the presence of his glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Blameless, faultless, you name it. Holy, sanctified, set apart, without blemish. Whoa, baby. <laughs> Whoa, baby. No wonder Jude says that we'll stand there with great joy. You see that at the end of the line there? With great joy. The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, okay, when you stand, when you see his glory, you get to stand in the presence of his glory. See, he's talking about the same thing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Because if you don't, stay the course, you won't be rejoicing at the revelation of his glory. His glory will be a very terrifying thing, right? We want it to be a moment where we've been rejoicing all along, even when times got tough, and then when his glory was revealed and we got to stand in the presence of his glory, we're like, woo! And we're excited because this is the day. This is the day we've been waiting for. This is the moment. This is the event that we've been waiting for, right? Keep at it. Though difficult times may come, even struggles within the church, like, like Jude has been talking about here, even those struggles, keep at it so that when you see his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Praise God for what he's able to do to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. Praise him and give him credit for that because he deserves it and because we need to be reminded of it because we need to live in accordance with it, okay? And then as we come to verse 25, Jude gives credit for who he is, uh, for, for who he who he is, his, his nature. I mean, not just his abilities, but who he is. He, he points out here that, that God is more than just a God with abilities. He is the only God. He said there in verse 25, the only God, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before uh, all time and now and forever. Amen. Now, Jude is simply describing God's nature and offering up praise to him, but there is a lot of big, heavy, powerful facts being dropped on us here if you'll, if you'll look at them. First of all, there's the overarching fact that he's the only God, and that matters. 
He's the only God, and that matters. He needs to be honored like he's the only God. Okay, this is a big deal. <laughs> he's the only God, Christian, and he needs to be honored that way. Now, Jude probably has his specific reasons for bringing this up, for mentioning this. The, this only God concept was, was probably an issue in the first century with the, the first century church that was facing a lot of Gnostic ideas that were coming in, uh, infiltrating the church and, and trying to poison doctrine and taint the true gospel. But throughout mankind's history, we've been struggling with this. Throughout the history of mankind on this created earth, we've been struggling to honor God as the only God, right? I mean, let's go back to, you know, some of the first people on this earth. Oh, yeah, the first people on this earth. Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve knew full well that God was their creator and the giver of every single thing they had, everything they could see, everything they could touch, everything they could taste and smell. You name it, God gave it to them, and they knew it. They knew it full well, dwelling in the garden in his presence. I mean, they knew it. But they put the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life ahead of God. Their, their thoughts, their feelings, what, what they wanted to do, what they wanted uh, to, um, you know, what they thought would bring them uh, pleasure and might make them wiser. You know, they, they fell for lies because they decided, well, this might be better than God. That's Adam and Eve. Today, do we have other gods or what? I mean, come on, you guys. Entertainment? Crazy these days. Experiences, you know, it's about the experience, man. You know, travel, you know. Uh, everybody, like, goes, ooh, when somebody says, well, I think I'm just going to travel for a while. You know, oh, I want to travel. Right? I mean, it's like, it's this big deal. News, people are glued to the news, obsessed with it, getting it from terrible sources. <laughs> Television, uh, I think people still watch those. Mostly it's just on the phones and, and such, but I think people still have TVs. Uh, hobbies that dominate. I mean, it's like I put 38 hours into my hobby and then, man, I'm, I'm, I'm with the saints when they assemble on Sunday or when they go out and do something together. You know, I spend time with, with my church family like not much. Sports. Kids, I know people have a hard time with the kids and the family thing. You know, my cousin so-and-so is coming over and doing this and doing that. But I mean, I think the Bible, I think Jesus spoke on the, the family and who comes first. And, and that it's not the family. Okay, we love them dearly and we take the greatest care of them. In fact, how we handle our family, God will judge us by that. He's told us how to love them and how to care for them. But he's also said, if they push back, if they give you a hard time on this, if they make this rough on you, you choose me over them. If they interfere with any of this, you choose me over them. And some of them will. And so you need to know you're going to choose me over them. Pleasure. I'm getting back to the list now happiness, satisfaction, this insatiable desire to fill our schedules beyond what we're able to do. The breaking point, I mean, goodness gracious. I'm a busy guy, and there's a lot of people who are, who are busy people, but this is one of the biggest issues is, hey, do you think maybe you could, you know, ah, I have to check my schedule. And then they do, and they got something going on. Got to mow my yard that day. It's the only three hours that it's not going to mow this. Or it's not going to rain this week. My goodness, people. 
This is God we're talking about. This isn't Jake harping and saying, I wish you all would. It's not that. I got to do it to myself. I go, Jake, I wish you would quit putting other things before God. Come on. Like, like I got to do this to myself. I got to scream like this at myself sometimes because I do some pretty idiotic things compared to how great God is, his ability and his nature. I mean, it's amazing, but we put these other things before God. Oh, I forgot. Did I mention money and money and, and, and money? Gods that we put before God, the only God? Guys, God often gets lip service from the church. We often want to say that he's God, that, that he's up there at the very top, and that, that he's the greatest, he's the best, you know, woohoo, you know, we're, we want to get pom-poms out and really do a whole dance so the people will believe us. But when we look at the real-life priorities that are in place in, in, in our lives, and again, I'm, I'm taking my thumbs, I'm taking my finger, whatever you want me to point at myself with, and I will do that. When we look at the priorities, if we had to write down this, a schedule of what we're doing this week, we see lives, we see these real life priorities that, that describe a life that, that might be similar to something that, um, well, it's not similar to the life that Paul was talking about here, but it could be described the same way when he says, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. We know this, these people that were being talked about in Romans chapter 1, is, it's a different story than, than kind of what I'm hammering at. But, but that should actually make it all the more uh, scary that if our priorities reveal a life that falls in line with this description right here, even though they knew God, they didn't honor him as God. He's the only God. What else do you, I mean, again, it's not complicated, it's simple. What else do you need to like be like, well, here's the thing. My life, like I've got all these different things going on, so I have to really juggle it around. Your life is simple. I have, no, it's, it's not. He's just the only God, and it's very easy for all of us, not easy, simple, for all of us to say, I'm going to put him at the top. Then it becomes hard, but it's not complicated. He always goes at the top. You just figure out how to do that. Okay, that's the part that you've got to work on. Just figure out how to do that. Okay, make the sacrifices. Suffer a little pain. Make a little less money. Okay, spend a little less time at the office. Whatever it looks like, that's the work that has to be done. But it's not complicated to say, who goes at the top? Okay, this week, what do I do first? What do I do first? You know, here, God, honoring God, that goes first. <laughs> it's not complicated, but it's also not easy. I'm not saying that. But church, we've got to quit playing the games. We got to quit wearing the Christian costume and actually be Christians. Actually honor God as the only God. Like he really is that. I got to imagine if we believed that and, and we really wanted to live that out, that, that some very basic foundational things in our lives would change, would have to change. Now, Jude continues on here, and I probably better too. Um, he doesn't just say he's, our, he's the only God, but he says he's the only God, our Savior. The only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, here again, Jude probably has his specific reasons for mentioning this, for bringing this up. Uh, again, that first century church that he was talking to was often dealing with members who were struggling with this false teaching about Christ. Uh, things like uh, the Christ was not the actual son of God or that he was not fully human and fully God. You know, God in the flesh, you know, full, the fullness of God uh, dwelling in bodily form. They, they struggled with that. Or that this Jesus character they thought should not be associated uh, so closely closely with God as the son of God. They struggled with these kinds of thoughts. 
And well, Jude weaves these very truths together in a way that, that's inseparable. You, you can't say like, well, he leaves a little room. Nope, he, he doesn't, right? He calls God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. God the Father and God the Son were actively working together to bring about salvation, right? They, they, they were working in perfect harmony and with unity of purpose to make salvation possible for us. God's plan to save mankind involved and was, it was necessary to involve the Son of God, to involve God the Son, Jesus, who is His Son, who is the Christ, right? John 3, 16, um, I know this is not a verse that, you know, very many people know. <laughs> so funny, right? <laughs> Thanks, Matt. I've got to get one of those signs up here that I could just like press the button when I need it. <laughs> Guys, I need it. Come on, go on. For God so loved the world. Who's involved here? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So salvation's there. God and his motive is there. And the son's involvement is there. Basic foundational stuff. And then, of course, at Jesus' baptism, the details are recorded in all four gospel accounts. Uh, but in Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, and Luke chapter 3, those all tell us that God said, this is my son. Right? God called Jesus his son. And in John chapter 1, when we get to that particular account, John the Immerser testified about all this, saying, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the son of God. So everybody who saw him and was honest and genuine knew this was the Son of God. He was involved in salvation. He was the Christ, okay? God isn't just the true God who deserves to be honored as such. He's our Savior. He's our God and He's our Savior. He didn't just make us and say, hmm, see what you do now. No, he, he saved us because of what we did. He created us. He's the only God and He's our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now as Jude prepares to, to kind of land the plane, so to speak, which some of you are out there actually doing this right now. You're like, come on, Jake, land the plane, land the plane. Okay, I see you now and again, okay? As Jude prepares to land the plane, he points out these four attributes that belong to God. They belong to God, always have and always will. And Jude, Jude says it that way, basically. Jude writes there, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, here's the four things, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever, amen. So always have belonged to God, these attributes, always will, before all time, now and forever. Now, we don't have to go deep into the, the meanings of the original Greek words that Jude used here. Uh, we could, and I contemplated it, uh, but, but I'm, I'm not going to. We don't have to look at the, the Greek definitions of these words to know what he's talking about, right? Jude uses words here that describe the great dignity and honor, the moral splendor, the radiance, the divine greatness of God. He uses words that describe the might, the power, the strength, and the right that God has to exercise that power. I mean, these are big, powerful words that, are, uh, that, that describe God and, and attributes that belong to God. They have before all time, now and forever. Amen? That's what Jude said, right? 
All of this and more, okay, this is not an exhaustive list. All of this and more has truly and deservedly belonged to God before all time, now, and forever. Jude is praising God, and, and he's not giving these things to God. He's just simply reinforcing that these things have belonged to God, describe God, are who God is before all time, now, and forever. Always have, always will. But... For us to get the maximum value from this information, okay, because so far this is just information, what, what, do we, what do we do with this? We've got to ask ourselves the question, honestly, soberly, respectfully, so what? I don't mean that as a throwaway, like, eh, so what? I mean, so what? What, what, what do we do? So what if this is true, everything we've talked about? So what if these are indeed the facts of the matter, right? Well, I'll answer that question for you. So what? Well, all of these facts demand a response from us. Because this is significantly bigger than something that we can, you know, shrug our shoulders and say, eh, that's pretty neat. You know, it's pretty cool stuff. Pretty awesome if you think about it, you know, if you think about it. Well, I wish you would, right? These things demand a, a response. In fact, they beg some powerful questions. Like, like if you recognize all of these things about God and genuinely took the time to praise him for and about these things like Jude did, how would this change your life? What kind of things do you think you would start doing? What kind of things, if you believed all of this, do you think you would stop doing? What kind of things do you think you would change? What do you think you would do more of or, or less of? What would you do differently? What would you maybe need to ask forgiveness of? What would you need to repent from? What might you vow to God? God, you are this, you are this, you are that. You have provided this and you have provided that. You have this ability and this is your nature. And so I am going to what would you vow to God? What would you change? What would be differently? And then, with regard to Jude's original concerns, you know, the whole reason he wrote the letter, um, you know, warning us about these people who have infiltrated the church, and we've got to watch our doctrine and really, you know, stay sound and stay on the right path and stay encouraged and, and build ourselves up on our most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit, all these things that he's mentioned. Could you imagine... Having all of this in mind, who God is, what he's capable of, what he's done, what he's provided, have all this in mind. Could you imagine all that, <coughs> excuse me, and then lying down and letting people just, just take that once for all faith and just drag it through the mud, just ruin it? Could you imagine allowing the once for all faith to be polluted by worldly minded people? Could you imagine letting ungodly men come in and hijack the once-for-all faith for their own selfish purposes? I mean, this is why I say this matters. Because if you really think this through and you really come to believe these things and keep them on the tops of your minds, okay, give God this praise and this credit because it's due to Him. He deserves it. But also because we need the reminder so that we'll live differently because of it, right? Don't you think that you probably wouldn't lay down and just let it be taken from you? Do you think you would contend earnestly for the faith? Do you think maybe that's what you would do? That you would step forward, uh, keeping all of these things in mind, giving God his due credit uh, for things like, um, you know, including but not limited to his ability to keep you from stumbling. 
to, to make you able to stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy to remember and recall that he's the only God that he's also our savior God that all majesty dominion and authority all these things belong to him before all time now and forevermore don't you think you'd stand up for the once for all faith Stand up and contend earnestly for that faith that was handed down to us, that was entrusted to us. We don't deserve it. We're probably not as capable as we wish we were, but it's been entrusted to us. Don't you think if you did this, you, you gave your own doxology to God now and again, or consistently, that you would stand up for him? You would stand up for the church, for sound doctrine, for the once for all faith? I'm going to use Jude's conclusion for my conclusion this morning. Uh, it's amen. Amen is what he says. Amen means so be it or uh, may it be so. And that's a pretty apt conclusion for this because if you think about it, uh, it's apt because all of this will be so. All of this will happen, every bit of it, despite the best efforts of ungodly people in the church who turn God's grace into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ, despite their deception uh, and, and, and their best efforts at trying to draw people away after themselves, despite all that, God will judge them, just like he judged Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. And he will keep the faithful from stumbling. He will cause them to stand firm and to be able to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy. Those things will happen. And to him, all glory, all majesty, dominion, and authority will be given. Those things will happen. So amen. So be it. It's all going to happen. The church to find ourselves on the right side of things when our Lord Jesus Christ comes back for the faithful. We need to heed Jude's calling in this letter. That's why we spent so much time in this, so many weeks in this. We need to heed Jude's calling in this letter. Remember the words of the apostles. Remember that? Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Remember that? Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Wait anxiously for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the mercy that he's bringing to eternal life. And show careful compassion and measured mercy to those who have, who have gone off the path so that we could bring them back onto the path. Church, we've got to give credit where credit is due. And, and, and this God that we serve... The only God. He deserves our greatest efforts. Not our seconds. Not our after we do this and after we do that. He deserves our greatest efforts in contending earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints.